Amen. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Carol. Well, welcome. It is our last college service here at Grace Bible Church, and it's actually a significant day for me because it's also my last day working for the college ministry. So I've been in here for two years. My name's Kyle Cox, if you don't know me. And uh, today, when I move out those doors, I will no longer be working for this ministry, which is sad, but it's been a fun run. Um, with that being said, I remember a couple months ago when, when Trey Corey, our college pastor, he, he asked us, um, John Turner and I, he asked us if we would preach a little more regularly in the summer, and he said we'd be preaching on Psalms. And I remember when he said that, one of the first Psalms that came to my mind was, was Psalm 51. And for the longest time, I, I avoided this psalm for whatever reason. And I, I remember the first time I taught, it was the first psalm I wanted to teach on, didn't do it. The next couple times I taught in the summer, wanted to do Psalms 51, just kind of avoided it. And I remember this week, I was, I was literally typing a sermon to, to another, another psalm, and I, I got a phone call from a friend who was just struggling really, really bad. And, and this particular friend felt like he, he was so deep into sin that that he just felt dirty before God. And, and that really broke me because, because as Christians, man, if we're, if we're under the salvation of Jesus Christ, there is so much freedom to sin. There's so much freedom against the chains that bind us. And so I know uh, if you're used to me teaching, I, I know I usually start off with like a joke or a funny story, but, but I, I wanted to start off for us just to pray. And for us who, who just have sins that we, we are, we've hidden, that we come in here and, and we sing and we, we listen to a talk and leave. And, and I want us to do right now is just, I want us to put that all, all on the table. I, I want to stop and, and I want to pray that our hearts, this last college service, this last time we'll be in here until, until the fall starts. I want us to come before God honestly. And I don't want us to pray that, that he, would, he would speak through his word in Psalm 51, that he would convict our hearts and that sins, even, even the ones we find small, that, that we, would, we would just place that before God and, and we would, in response, praise him for his forgiveness and his great love for us. And then at the end of the service, I'm going to charge us as we go out um, into this next semester with, with something that we learn from the life of David in Psalm 51. So let's just pray real quick. Let's pray for this time. Let's pray for this service. Um, God, we, we praise you for who you are and for your great love for us, Lord. We, we confess that um, thousands of times we fail, and yet you are still so quick to love. And so I want to specifically pray for anyone in this room who, who are living in sin right now, who feel guilty and shame. God, would they know that um, shame and guilt is a pointless endeavor because of what you did through Jesus on the cross? And so, Lord, Lord I pray that we would walk out of here with freedom today. I pray we would walk out of here um, looking at Psalms 51, and we would see such great hope and restoration in our lives that that we would forget, um, that we just, we would forget all the, the lies we've been listening to that we can't come before you because we're dirty or, or whatever. And, and God, I pray for the secret sins, even the little ones, everything as, as small as to what we would deem small, a little white lie that we would, we would just put it all before you today. Um, and that we would, we would so walk in praise knowing that, that you have saved us. And so, God, that, that's my prayer for this morning, that we would just come before you honestly and we would recognize just how good you are, that you would, you would save us through the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in your name, God, we pray. Amen. I don't care who you are. I don't care how manly you are. That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs>
And you, you all know it. We all know it. And so uh, I don't actually own a cat. I own a mix between a dog and a cat. Some call them Pomeranians. Um, and in the, wise, in the wise words of Ron Swanson, if a dog is under 50 pounds, it's a cat. And as we know, cats are useless. Um, but with that being said, I like this video because I think it's adorable. But at the same time, I, I like the cat because the cat kind of comes in and the cat's all like gross and dirty and disgusting as cats usually are. And this dog dog, this great dog who had no reason to help this little ugly cat out, comes in and takes the cat in. And, you know, you saw at the end of the video, the dog and the cat were, were like playing around. And I'm all for those funny, like, well, that's so weird that they're friends, but they're friends situations. And this was one of them. But the point of this is the cat was broken and the dog came in and provided restoration. And so why do I say that? Um, I say that and use this goofy little illustration because we're about to read a response to one of the biggest failures in all of Scripture, one of the biggest mishaps, one of the biggest sins presented to us in Scripture is made by a man called the man after God's own heart. It's David. And so we're going to see David just seriously mess up. And then Psalms 51 is going to be his response to this. And so what I want to do before we get into Psalm 51, um, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, that's not where we're going to be. You can stay in Psalms 51. I'm not going to read it. We're just going to kind of talk through the story. And it'll help us understand um, Psalms 51 as a response from David. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting with verse 1, it says, When the kings in the spring were out to battle, David arose one evening from his slumber. Now I want you to catch the significance in this verse, and it's this, that David literally woke up like late afternoon, early evening. So basically a lot of our college lives. Um, so David wakes up really, really late, and he's like, oh man, I know I should be in battle, but sleep and whatever, and I got to ignore the tests and the exams and all that stuff. And so, you know, he's, he's really lazy. He's like, I haven't seen air in 24 hours or sunlight. I guess we can't live without air. So I haven't seen sunlight in 24 hours, and so I guess I'll go outside. And so David goes outside, and that's when it happens. He catches a glimpse of a woman named Bathsheba bathing. Now, I want us to understand what's going, probably going on through David's head right now. He has a decision to make. He's hit at a crossroads. He can either keep walking, or he can stop and stare. Now, I want you to know that when David decided to stop and stare, I don't think he anticipated this long ordeal, what's about to happen, which, is, which, which happened was murder and, and adultery. I don't think he expected that to happen just with a glance. And so what we would deem maybe a little sin, it's not, but what we deem a little sin, he just starts, it starts with that, just a little, a little baby thing that Satan kind of crafts and makes it look like, hey, you're not hurting anybody. You're not taking her. You're not touching her. You're not, you're not doing anything. You're just... You're just looking. But what happens is, and so in this moment, David, man, David forgot everything. He forgot about the God who took down Goliath. He forgot about the God who saved him from Saul. He forgot about the God who called him the man after his own heart. David, his integrity was challenged and he plunged into sin. And so what happens is he just stares. And so I'm sure what happens next, based on 2 Samuel chapter 11, is he starts to ask questions. He starts to get curious, like, hey, who is this girl? You know, he's just hypothetically, I just want to know, who, who is this girl, you know? I didn't see her bathing, but I just want to know who this girl is, you know? And so um, the answer, this is Bathsheba, the, the wife of Uriah. And so 
what he does is he eventually sleeps with Bathsheba. Um, and after he sleeps with her, he finds out that he got her pregnant. And so she comes and says that I'm pregnant with your baby. And now David realizes he's in a very huge pickle. And so what David does is he indirectly murders Uriah by sending Uriah in the front lines of battle. And in the front lines, Uriah uh, dies. And this was so crafty by David too. You know, he, he knew if he was in the front lines in battle, he knew that Uriah would look like a hero. You know, this is a hero dying. I'm sending a hero off to war. He crafted it so well and indirectly murders Uriah. And so now he thinks he gets away with it. And the last verse of 2 Samuel chapter 11 is this. What David had done was evil in God's eyes. Now I want you to hone in on that word evil. They're not saying what they did was bad or wrong. No, evil. Think about it. We don't, we don't, when we think of someone evil, we think of like Hitler, you know? We don't think of David who, who the seed of David would be Jesus one day. You know, we don't think about David. When we think evil, we think, man, you, you are evil, you know? And so, so David here, he's saying what, what David has done was evil, man after God's own heart. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, what happens next enters the prophet Nathan, someone who is friends with Daniel, uh, David, sorry, someone who is friends with David, and he goes up to David, and he's like, hey, David, hypothetical situation, just, you know, hear me out, hypothetical situation, there's this poor man, and this poor man has one small little lamb, and that's all he has, it's just this lamb. But there's also this rich man with a whole flock of lambs and sheep, and all, and he just, he's, he has all this stuff, and what this rich man does is he, is he takes this poor little lamb from this poor man, and the poor man then has nothing. David, what would you do, hypothetically? And David's like, we need to kill this guy. Let's take him out. Man, I will not rest or sleep until this guy's dead. And then Nathan responds with what I think to be one of the biggest spiritual slaps in the faces in the Bible with, David, that man is you. You want some ice for that burn? And you're like, whoa, what? And so here, David his response isn't, oh, I, I was just so, I, no, he was, he breaks down and cries and says, God, I have sinned. I have sinned. I almost think there was probably relief in David that he had been caught. He doesn't have to fester this or hold this anymore. He gets to release it and say, I messed up. I messed up. And in response to this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, we get Psalm 51. This is David's written response. Let's go ahead and start in verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your greatness of your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, God, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. We're going to start there. So the first, like, point I have. I'm going to have four points throughout this talk. And the first point is a little depressing. But right after there, we're going to see so much hope. 
Right after that, we're going to see so much hope. And so point number one is this. All sin is serious. So what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm not saying this relates to us in terms of, okay, well, I've never murdered. I've never committed adultery. Now I'm saying all sin from adultery and murder to what we exaggerate to be like a little lie or a little gossip, all of it is serious. I was on the racquetball team for a year in college, um, and I loved racquetball. It was a lot of fun. Anyone? No? Yeah? Yeah, all right. There's a couple. Cool. I didn't know there would be. All right, so I was on the racquetball team, and there were like two main rules that they hammered out at me on racquetball. It was, it was you always wear goggles, and you always wear the little wristy thing around your racket. And this was a particular day when I was fighting or going against the Hulk, and he had his racket, and I had mine, and I had forgotten my goggles. But I was like, I've never been hit in the eye, so, you know, like, whatever. And so what had happened is I hit the ball, and then he comes around, swings, hits the ball, and the last thing I remember is... It's just a ball coming to my face. And then I woke up with a bunch of patches on my chest because I had been knocked out by this hulkish man. He's really not that big. I'm just trying to make myself sound better. Now, it's this average-looking guy who, who just completely knocked me out in the face with, with, a, with a racquetball. And so I woke up like 15 minutes later, had these patches on me, and they were like, do you need to go to the hospital? I was like, no, no, I'm fine. My pride, you know. No, 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 I'm fine. And so as I'm walking out, the next thing that happens in this day is I get a call from two of my freshmen from Impact. They were like, hey, we have a rat in our room. Can you come find it? And I was like, heck yeah. And so I went to the, to the room, and I was told, I was literally told, don't go in the room and don't look under the bed. So I go in the room, naturally, and I look under the bed, and what happens? The rat literally flies out, and I'm like, ah, you know, like just trying to get it off me, just petrified. And I learned that day that those two little rules that I thought were insignificant had serious consequences. I say that because sin, man, no matter how little it is, it's serious, and it has consequences, I've been, I've been pulled over a number of times, um, but <laughs> I've gotten a warning every time, except for the last time, and I was so annoyed because I was going five miles over the speed limit, and I remember I was talking to Marty Scott, um, who works at Grace, and I, he, he was like, well, were you speeding? And I was like, yeah, only five miles. And he was like, were you speeding? Yeah, but five, and he was like, stop saying buts, were you speeding? Yes. You know, it's like, in the end, I deserve the ticket. I was still speeding, even if it was five miles um, over the hour or not. And so if we're going to talk about sin, if we're going to call it little, let's talk about what we would deem like the littlest sin in scripture. Don't you think eating an apple isn't that big of a sin, you know, or eating a fruit? I don't know. I didn't, it's not an apple. Eating a fruit wasn't that big of a sin, yet that's the sin that sent the whole world in condemnation. So make no mistake, sin is sin, and sin is serious. David describes it in Psalm 51, he uses a couple of adjectives. He says, blot out my transgressions, wash my iniquity, cleanse me of my sin. It's a recognition that sin is evil. And transgression literally means to rebel against one's law. So to transgress against God is to just defy God's law, no matter what we do. I want us to know that, that even the little, little sins we deem little are serious. We're defying God's law. And we say, you know, it's when the fog comes in our mind and we we start to blot out God's voice and we say, you know, I don't really like God's standard. I kind of like this girl more than I like God's standard, you know, or or man, I want to kind of look good. So I'll gossip and lie about myself to others to make myself and elevate myself to look good. It's a look at God's standard and we say, man, I I don't want it. I don't want it. And what starts to happen is once you 
dive more and more into it. Once the fog becomes darker, you start to blur the lines of black and white. They turn gray. You start to make compromises and you start to justify yourself. C.S. Lewis, a mere Christianity, says it wonderfully. He says, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you are awake, not while you're sleeping. Uh, You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you're sober, not when you're drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. And so I'm saying, what are we willing to do to, to remove access to sin. Um, I want to brag on two friends of mine who are engaged, Blake Godsey and Caitlin Conrad, uh, who work for our college ministry. You know, I, I was talking to Blake, and, and they both have set up boundaries for themselves in their engagement. They're supposed to be home at a certain time. They, their roommates always know where they are, always know when they're out. And as I was hearing Blake tell me these things, you know, just don't, how much respect I had in him that they were willing to see temptation and sin as something like, yeah, we want, but we love God's law better. And so we're going to wait because we trust him, knowing that he is good and knowing that what he's designed is perfect. And I look at that and it inspires me, man. It inspires me to know that Sin is, is deceiving. It's deceiving. And so sin doesn't care for us. We may think it does, but it doesn't. And Satan makes it look so stinking good. He makes it look like, well, did God really say you can't exaggerate? I mean, you're not lying. You're just exaggerating the truth, you know? Did he, did he really say that? And so know this. Sin is serious. He goes in verse 5 and he says, ever since I was in my mother's womb. I mean, when I was a little embryo, God, I was just surrounded in sin. I was surrounded in sin. And so, and so he says, I identify with, with sin. But the good news is it only goes uphill from here. So we recognize that sin is evil. We recognize that we live in a fallen world, in a sinful world. But think and praise God. That point number two is this, that God is gracious. Just as David used different words to describe sin in Psalm 51, he uses different words to describe God's grace. He says, have mercy. Your steadfast love abounds. You abound in mercy. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity. Cleanse me. He's basically asking God to unsin him, to just remove sin. I don't want just a new new mind. I want a new heart. I don't want a band-aid over the scab. I want it completely removed. And so he says in verse 7, purify me with hyssop. And I was like, I don't know what hyssop is. So I looked up what hyssop was, and I was like, oh my gosh, hyssop is so significant. I love hyssop. And so hyssop is this small brush-like plant that they would take from the ground and use to make sacrifices, and they would spread the blood with hyssop. So in Ezekiel chapter 12, when the angel of death goes through the city, they used hyssop to spread the blood on the doors. Hyssop was so significant because in the Old Testament, every time they sinned, they had to make sacrifices. Now, the problem was this, that every sacrifice they made, it didn't eradicate sin. It just put it at bay for a little bit. So to illustrate this, um, it's like you get a scab. It's like putting a Band-Aid on it. You just put a Band-Aid on it, but it's not, it's not going to take it away. You're maybe like softening it a little bit. It's not going to take it away, though. And here David knows that, that to purify it, to cleanse, it's costly. It's always costly. And it's always through sacrifice. Now, The good news is, and I would be crazy 
not to share the gospel of Jesus at this point. And the good, amazing news is this, that we don't have to make sacrifices anymore because God made a way in his grace when he sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on a cross and rise from, a gra- rise from the grave. He made a way for us to never have to sacrifice to where it's not just a band-aid on the wrist, but he eradicates sin completely. Where through Jesus and through a relationship with him, You are not only just purified, you are made righteous before God. That when he looks at you and he looks at me, when he looks at us and we've sinned and we're living in guilt, it is such a fool's errand to live in guilt and shame because he has completely made us white as snow. That Jesus completely took away our sin. And the irony of death is this, that sin always leads to death. It's why we die. Sin always leads to death. And so had Jesus stayed in the grave, sin would have won. Sin would have won. If sin was a person, he would point down and say, look, I did it. Jesus is dead. I win. But he rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering sin, so that now we can have communion with God, so that we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in guilt, that we are completely made right before the eyes of God. If you saw me right now, I'd be a porcupine. I got like chills. Man, I just— Think about this. We hear this message often, and yet I feel like we become numb to it. Think about it. Let's think about our sin and what we've done and realize that Jesus has completely saved us because of his great love for us, that you can boldly go before God and you can have a relationship with God through the power, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so know this. If you're, if you're living in guilt, a lot of times I feel like before we confess, we feel like we have to have time it's like when you're a kid, you do bad things and you don't tell your parents till four years later and they're like, well, I mean, it's been four years. Who cares? Um, that's, that's not this. We don't have to wait. Let's go before God now. Go before God now. That's the good news, guys, is, is that God is gracious, that he has provided a way. We don't need hyssop. We don't need it. We just need a relationship with Jesus Christ and God offers this exclusively through Jesus Christ. Free gift. God's grace is so much greater and bigger than our sin so much greater and bigger, and he loves us so much. Point number three, confession is key. So honesty is key here. Think of Adam and Eve back when they were in the garden. They blamed each other. Hey, Eve gave me the apple. You know, I, I, Eve gave it to me. I thought it was all right. And in terms of blaming Eve, Adam was actually blaming God because he was like, hey, you gave me Eve. I mean, it's kind of it's your fault. But David doesn't do that. David knows the problem is in his own heart. He knows it. A lot of times we don't feel cleansed because a lot of times we treat God like a person. And let me explain that a little bit. I feel like when, we, when we're confessing sins to one another, sometimes we kind of like wrap it around like something good at the same time. So it's like, ah, I struggle with lust. And, but we don't say what we're doing in our relationship. Or we're like, yeah, sometimes I exaggerate the truth. But we don't say, no man, I'm a habitual liar. I lie all, I can't help it today. I lied to you today. Or, you know, when we gossip, we try to make it all sweet and make it sound good. Like, oh, let's just pray for him, you know? And either though we're like, I want this person to look bad. And we start to do this. And I think that's what happens when we start to come before God. We, we're not as honest with God. We come before him and we're like, God, you know, I'm sorry for my sin. And we don't recognize and specify, man, God, no, I have specifically messed up here. Yes, God will forgive you. He will absolutely forgive you if you say just I mean, forgive me of my sin. You are forgiven in Jesus. But guys, we really need to come before God and honestly, specifically say, man, God, this is where, this is where I failed. I completely defied you. This is where I sinned and I messed up. 
And so I, I want us to be honest as a church, as a college grace church. I want us to be honest before God. I want us to be honest and know this. It's going to feel weird and it should feel weird because, I mean, he's a holy and perfect God. It's going to feel weird talking to a holy and perfect God and being like, uh, so I did this specific evil thing and, and you know what? But he's so quick to forgive and he's so quick to forget. And so let's stop living in guilt and shame. Let's confess our sins to the God who loves us so much that he would send Jesus down to us. Let's ask for a renewed heart because if you're in Christ, you're, you're a completely new creation. You're a completely new creation. Point number four is this. Restoration is the result David doesn't just want a clean slate. He wants a clean heart. Verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He doesn't just want the band-aid. He, he wants completely new life. He wants to be completely different and restored. The old is gone. It moves on, and this says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In this process, God gives us joy. He gives us joy. Now, I'm not saying if you confess your sins, then you're going to get a lot of money and you're going to be healthy. Now, you may be sick all your life. You may be poor all your life, but I'll tell you what, there is more joy in a poor man than a rich man without God. So know that. Know that there is joy and restoration in him. There is joy in his grace and his love for you. There is joy in that. He restores our, I mean, even, even if we've messed up like last week, I mean, I've some of you, I mean, some of us did. I, I feel like some of us probably are coming in here with guilt and shame because we, we thoroughly messed up last week. Man, remove that guilt and shame. Come before, I'm gonna have an op- we're going to have an opportunity to pray silently, and I want you to just lay it, lay it on the floor before God who loves you, who loves you. And so as I was thinking through uh, this psalm and the story of David, um, I thought through three application points that I wanted to share with y'all um, and before we get into that, uh, looking at sin and, and looking at the seriousness, I want you to know, we, Blake told a great story of redemption last week. He told a story of a friend um, who murdered and went to jail, and in jail uh, became a Christian. And now God is doing amazing things in this person's life to reach um, the people around him, scary people. I mean, reach the people around him. I want you to know that I don't think it started off with, you know, I think I'll go murder today. I think it probably started off with something small that grew. And so let's catch sin before it grows into something big. We don't have to end up in a state of adultery or jail to realize, man, I messed up. Let's come before God now. Let's come before God now. And so three application points. This first one is Point number one, seek sacrifice. Matthew 5, 29 says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one eye of the members of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. So the implication here, he's not literally saying rip out your eye. um, But the implication here is, what are you willing to sacrifice? I think had David had the choice to gnaw out his eye or go through that process, he probably would have rather gnawed out his eye. So the, the point here is, what are we willing to sacrifice? Um, to illustrate this in my own life, I was introduced to pornography around high school. And it followed me throughout my first couple years of college. And I remember, I remember a friend knew about it. And I was, I was there talking with him one day. And 
We were talking about the porn industry, which I'm not going to give a porn talk. If you want to hear a great one, Blake Jennings just preached a pornography talk last week. It's online. Incredible. Go listen to it. Um, But we were talking about the industry, and he revealed to me things I didn't know, like how men will, will take little girls in their young teenage years, they'll rape them, and then they'll sell them and they record them, and that's, that's the people we're watching. And I was so mad. I was like, I was like, man, I just want to, I want to take this guy in the alleyway, just beat him with a bat, you know? And here was his response. I'm quoting his response when, when he, when I said that. He said, well, Kyle, take yourself back there, bring the bat, be alone, and beat yourself in the face. That's what he said to me, and I was like, excuse me? You know? And he's like, you're doing the very thing that you just said you hated. You're giving money you know, even if you're not paying for going online, advertisements, they are the ones who, who pay to be online. And so every time you click on a site to go to pornography, there's an advertisement, you're giving money. And man, that broke me. And so I remember that night, I was up to like three o'clock in the morning. I had my phone and my flesh and my spirit were in like battle. And I was just like, I just need to get out. And so I went to a park and I was walking to the park and I was praying and I was like, God, I just want to do whatever it takes. I don't want to do this anymore. I I just don't care. I want to do whatever it takes. And I looked to my left. There was a pond. I looked to my phone. and I was like, don't think. Just do it. And I threw my phone into a pond. Now, retrospect, if you want to destroy your phone, that's littering. So don't litter. Um, <laughs> I didn't think about that at the time. But my point is, man, it was willing. I, was, I felt so free after that moment. I, so, I felt so free just sacrificing a, a stupid phone to, to remove temptation from that. And you know, people call it crazy, and I, I want you to hear me when I say this. I don't care. I don't care if it was crazy. You can, you can laugh and, and say, you know, I had someone last week say, well, that was dumb, and I want you to know, I, I, don't, I don't care. Because that is one step in my life that I see, man, God, um, I see that this is real, you know, and it just felt freeing. And no, I'm not saying iPhones are bad. I have an iPhone now. But I am saying, maybe, maybe for some of you, it's, locking your iPhone for a time being. Or maybe it's for a season you don't, you don't have one. You have a flip phone for a little bit. Maybe for some of you in your relationships, it's you, you inconvenience yourself by saying, we can't stay out past 10, or we can't start a movie at like midnight, you know? Or, or you know, maybe, maybe for some of you, it's just setting up inconveniences for the sake of purity or for the sake of removing sin and fighting temptation. Maybe that's it. For some of you, maybe it's sacrificing your pride, so you can tell someone honestly, this is what I've lied to you about today, or this is where I was prideful. Perhaps that's, that's, that's what you need to do. Point number two is this, seek accountability. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Basically, I mean, if you're in sin and someone's encouraging you in that sin, um, man, he didn't care about you. They don't care about you. A friend is going to tell you what you need to hear. And I'm, I'm thinking, I have, man, this year I have great accountability. There's, I have two roommates who work here at Grace, Lucas Aubrey and a guy named Hayden Stringer. And um, Hayden and I had an idea. And you know what? It's inconvenient sometimes. And sometimes we're tired. But Hayden and I pray every night because we live in the same room. We pray every night before we go to sleep. And if I'm like tired or whatever, he'll bring it up and be like, hey, Kyle, we need to pray. Or if he's tired, I'll be like, Hayden, we need to pray. And let me tell you, it. Yeah, you know, some people, I, I had someone else say, man, that's annoying. Yeah, I every night. You know what? We don't, we don't care. It's, it's inconvenient sometimes because we're tired. But gosh, to have accountability in him, to sit on our beds and just confess sin and be real and vulnerable, I'm so thankful for that. Um, Lucas Aubrey and I, we, we both 
He's the only person who can download content on my phone. I, I have no ability. I don't know the password. I can't download any app on my phone. And yeah, it's inconvenient sometimes, but I don't care. You know, we all, all, all of us in this house have software and things we do to fight sin that makes it all inconvenient for us. And we are at the point in our lives where we've seen sin personally and it's hurt us personally. We've seen it hurt friends personally and we just don't care anymore. And so do you have accountability? Do you have someone where it's okay to not be okay to? Because that, that's, that's who you need to find. And this is the last point. And I'll tell you, this last point is by far the most important one. It's the point that if you just have accountability or you just have sacrifice, um, it'll fail. If you don't have this point, it's this point number three. Seek scripture. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When sin is presented to us, the result is dependent upon the time we have spent on our relationship with God. It's almost always Guys, we need to be in scripture. We need to be pursuing a relationship with God. I'll tell you, you know, in Psalms 1, it has a great illustration of a tree and, and a river that's constantly um, producing fruit in this tree. If our only time we're spending with God is a Sunday morning for three hours, it's not enough. It's not enough. We have to be constantly spending time in our relationship with God. What happened is David put himself in spiritual isolation. And so my charge to you, the last thing in this college ministry that, I, that I'm saying, so hear, hear the sincerity in my voice. I don't care if I sound intense or whatever. I, is, is this, is that we can't be in spiritual isolation. So when we move off, when we leave um, this summer and we, we start the fall, my hope for you guys is that you would not be spiritually isolated, that you would have community, that you would have accountability and that, as he said in the very first verse of, of 2 Samuel verse 11, where David was, was lazy and he was not in the fight. Guys, we have to be in the fight. There is a spiritual war going on, and we can pretend like it's not there all we want, but the reality is it is. We can make fun of it all we want, but the reality is it's real. And we have to be in the fight. And so my charge to you today is that we would be in the fight, that we would recognize the spiritual war is real. And the second thing I want to say, and I've said this a couple times, is this, that God's grace is bigger than your sin. And so if you're, if you're in sin today and you're, you're in guilt, I want you now, Jared's going to come up and, and we're going to sing two more songs, but um, before he does that, we're going to have a moment of, of prayer. And I, I want you to just confess it to him. I want you to be honest. I mean, confess, confess it all. Maybe, you, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't do that big sin. Maybe, maybe you, just, you just lie a lot or gossip. I mean, just confess sin to him in this time that we have now knowing that he is so good and so quick to forgive, that he loves you intimately, he loves you personally, and he loves you independently, that he gave Jesus to die for us. And so lastly, I'll say this. If you, if you don't know Jesus, that is the first step of restoration and eternity with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you, I mean, if you remember anything about anything that I've said, it is this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to restoration. And so my hope is that you would, you would have that understanding. So um, what's going to happen next is I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to just have two, three minutes of, of praying silently. Um, and if you need to talk to someone, I mean, there's no shame in talking to someone. Uh, there's a couple fellows in the back, and they're, they're more than willing to talk to y'all. And, you know, they don't have to do it out here. We can go to a different room. Um, let's just take this time to, to be honest with God, who, who loves us so much. God, um, just praise you for who you are, Lord. Um, 
God, that you would send Jesus to die for me. Uh, I, I hear that story all the time, but it, it doesn't hit me. I, mean, I, don't, I don't get chills from it a lot. And so, Lord, um, God, I want that to, to just blow our minds, that, that Jesus would save us despite our sin, despite us uh, being dirty or sinners, that you look at us and say, no, um, you're righteous. You're, you're made white as snow. You're made clean. And so, God, I pray for any, all of us in here that we would, be, that we would be honest with you now. We would confess our sin, that we would recognize uh, that you are so quick to forgive. God, we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Take a couple minutes now and go ahead and just pray to yourself.